please turn for me this evening to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7. It's just after the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes, chapter 7. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. We shall leave it there. Well, friends, we're looking at, uh, briefly at these uh, few verses uh, this evening, and my subject is a feast or a funeral? Question mark. A feast or a funeral? Which one uh, should you go to? Actually, my title isn't original. I admit it. It's actually taken from uh, this verse here in verse 2. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. The words of King Solomon, one of the wisest men that has ever walked on the face of the earth. But actually, it's more than Solomon's words. These are the words of the Lord God. These are the words of heaven. These are the words that God is speaking to us. God is telling mankind. God is whispering, whispering quite loudly we should say, whispering to the world with, a, uh, with his voice, it's better to go to a, a funeral than it is to go to a feast. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. That surprises us, doesn't it? It's better to go to a funeral than to a party. Everyone's up for a party. Everyone's up for a good time, aren't we? But to go to a funeral, <laughs> don't want to go to a funeral. Well, that reminds me too much. That's too, that sounds too morbid. That doesn't sound like a very pleasant thing to do. And in fact, there are many people who would, uh, really would avoid uh, a funeral altogether. They're all too ready to go to a party, but the funeral, well, that's just another story. So it startles us when we come across such words as these. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. But friends, we shouldn't be entirely surprised because the Bible is full of surprises. The Bible is full of things which are so contrary to the way that we usually think. If we've never read the Bible before, and we've just grown up with our own thoughts and our own ideologies, or the things that we hear around them, well, you'll find that when you come to read the Scriptures, they're actually so different. The Scriptures are so different, and they startle us, and they surprise us, and they amaze us, that this is not the way I think. That's not the way I've been brought up to think. I've been thinking in a completely different direction, and then you read what the Bible says, and say, oh, it's so very different. Well, friends, it must be. 
Because these are the words of God. And God's thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. And God's ways are so much higher than our ways. We think all religions lead to God. doesn't matter what you believe. As long as you have some kind of belief, that's okay. doesn't matter whether you're a Hindu or a Muslim or a Christian. As long as you believe something that will lead to God, the Bible says there's only one way to God, and that's through Christ. We think, well, I must be a good person. I want to be accepted by God. I want to go to heaven when I die. Oh, no, I know what. I'll just live a good life. I'll try and be a good person, and as good as I can be, and I won't do any harm to anyone, and I'll avoid all the big sins in life, and that will be enough, won't it? The Bible says it's not enough. The Bible says that we are all sinners, and that you must come to Christ and you must trust in Christ and in Him alone, and you cannot save yourself. We think, I must earn salvation. I must earn it. I must earn credit with God. I must earn uh, my salvation for me. I must at least play some part. But the Bible says, no, salvation is a gift, friends. God says, you can't earn it. It's, you have to receive it as a gracious gift, undeserving uh, as we are, we take it freely from the Lord's hands. But there's so many other things we could say. And that's what this passage really is trying to do to, to us, to speak to us. It speaks of very startling, surprising things to get us to think in a different way. And especially about the matters that concern our soul, because that's so vital. That's a subject we don't really think about. Thinking. Oh, we think about all sorts of things in life, don't we? We think like that rich man that we read about. He, he thought to himself, what shall I do? What shall I do with, I'm growing richer and richer. I've got such a lot of money, as it were, coming in uh, through my harvest. And my barns, well, they're not, they're not big enough to hold all the, the possessions that I have. I've made bigger barns. He was thinking about advancing himself in this life. But he never thought. He never thought took time to think about God and his soul. That's why we read that the Lord said to him, Thou fool, thou fool, you're thinking about all these things, but you're not thinking about your very soul and your, what's going to happen to you when you die. Well, we need to think, friends. We need to think seriously about these things. And that, that's what this passage here is calling us to. And we'll just go through some of these surprising things uh, maxims that I hear, and uh, just briefly uh, talk about it. So, a good name, firstly, verse 1, is better than precious ointment. A good name is better than precious ointment. Well, ointment in those days, well, it was rare for one thing, and it was also very expensive. It came from a long distance, and not everyone possessed uh, ointment and perfume as it was. It was a luxury that only the rich uh, could afford. It had a nice, very pleasant smell. That's, that scent, it didn't last very long. It didn't retain its strength. It had to be reapplied repeatedly. And of course, uh, well, it was used uh, to uncover, sorry, to cover rather, the unpleasant body odors, just like in our modern day we use uh, deodorants. Well, uh, so was this ointment used for such purposes, and especially 
at a person's death. It was one a great thing that they desired, that uh, their bodies would be embalmed with this expensive perfume, with this expensive ointment for a time when it would prevent putrefaction and for a time maybe it would present, uh, give off this pleasant smell, but again, it wouldn't last. And uh, uh, Solomon here says a good name is to be preferred than such precious ointment. A good name speaks of a good character, of, a, of having a good reputation, of having a real, a real a good character from within. A good name is not soon forgotten. A good standing with God, that's what's especially in mind uh, here. Now, friends, the lesson for us and the thought here for us is that what's the use? What's the use of um, a man decking himself with perfume to make himself smell good if his character is uh, nauseating? If his character is, is unpleasant, what's the use of decking himself and putting on uh, this sweet-smelling perfume? If beneath the perfume, if he as a person is a nasty person and an unkind person, an unpleasant person really uh, to be with, somebody who uses unpleasant language, somebody who is known among, in his circle of friends as perhaps uh, one who cooks the books, one who is dishonest, one who is uh, short-tempered, one who uh, is, uh, doesn't fill in his tax returns in an honest way, and he's unkind to other people around him, who is uh, short-tempered with his, uh, his family, that kind of a person. Well, he's, he's not the best kind of a character, and uh, he's using this ointment as a superficial covering. What's the use of it? To have a, be a nice smelling on the outside inside, it's unpleasant. Oh, friends, uh, people will see through it. Those around him know that he is only pretending, know that it's only something that is superficial. It's only something that is on the outside. It is only something that is external. There is no real depth to this person and to his life and to his character. It's all a show. It's all a pretense. He wants a good reputation. He wants people to think well of him. But he's not really like that in his character. But that's the impression that he wants to give. Well, you know, we are good like that. We are good perhaps at uh, papering over the cracks ourselves in our own lives. We are good ourselves in a, at hiding our own unpleasantness for, uh, from others. Perhaps that we spend our, a lot of our lives... Perhaps this is the great cover-up of our lives, that we try and cover up ourselves, our real selves, from our loved ones and from our friends and from our neighbors and from those we mix with. And they don't really know us. And we, perhaps we even try and hide and cover up our real selves from God who sees all things. And we try perhaps and put on things and think, oh, perhaps even if I put on some good works, I, I can hide the unpleasant things that are there. This may follow us all the way through life. We may be like this from, from a, a young age and carry this sort of wanting a good reputation uh, all the way till the day of our death. You know, you go to funerals, 
and you hear these eulogies at funerals. And what do you hear? You hear only praise about the person usually who has died. You read the obituaries, and you hear about all the achievements that uh, this person has, has achieved in their life. You don't hear about the other side of, of their lives, the other the character. That person who has achieved so much, he may have been a really nasty person. But you don't hear about it. You only hear the good things. Well, friends, it's all a false impression. It's all, uh, all for reputation's sake. There's no uh, reality uh, there. But God sees through all that. God sees through all that. And really, friends, our character, before we come to Christ, it stinks before the Lord. Because we are so uh, sinful, we try maybe and cover it up with some good works. Maybe we'll attend church and think that will be okay. That will be something that will earn credit with the Lord. Perhaps we'll run a marathon for charity. That's another way maybe we want to cover up ourselves. But God is not fooled by these externals. God sees through everything. Oh, friends, what we need really is to be known by the Lord. A good reputation, a good name is to be known by Christ to be his, to be in a right standing with God, even if every, no one else recognizes you. If God does, if God knows about you, if you are his, you belong to him, that's the most important thing in life. If you have his forgiveness in life, what is a great name? It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if your name is famous or not. If your name is known by the Lord, that's what counts. That's what will hold you in this life and in, for eternity. So we move on. The second part of verse 1. The day of death is better than the day of one's birth. Or as somebody uh, said, a preacher, death day is better than your birthday. And uh, maybe we need a little bit more of thinking about our death days. Oh, this all, again, sounds so very morbid. And we don't like to think about uh, these things. We want to have it the other way around. We rejoice, of course, in the day of one's birth. Everyone is happy when a child is born. Everyone is glad to see a new life uh, come, especially if it's uh, one of our loved ones who's had a child. It's a very happy day. And we are often downcast and sad if a loved one passes away. And we, that's, that's normal. But the thought here, friends, uh, is that many only begin to think about, uh, seriously about life and about their soul and about their standing with God and about eternity when death is near or when death draws near. That's the time when they suddenly realize, oh, I'm going to enter into eternity. I'm going to enter into the next world and I must meet my creator and my maker. But their whole life, they've never thought about these things. They've spent their whole life thinking about other things. They began life full of optimism. Their parents, their doting parents expected great things from their children. And those children, when they grew up, well, they, they had their aspirations, they had their goals, they had their dreams, and so they engaged wholeheartedly into this world. They gave themselves uh, to this world to the exclusion of God. 
They committed themselves to material gains and achievements to the exclusion of God. They left God out of their lives. The important things in life were, were these earthly attainments, these academic achievements, a, a wealthier lifestyle, a luxurious lifestyle maybe. That's what they sought for, success in their business. But their soul, their immortal soul was neglected. They made throughout their life no preparation for the next life. Only as they were approaching old age and death, then perhaps they began to think about it. And it's too late, perhaps, with some. But when the body was giving way, and the body was aging and weakening, and as soon to give way, then at the very last moments of their life, at the last hours or days of their life, they could look back over their life, and they regret that they've lived a life in such a way, that they've wasted those years, and they never sought the Lord. And perhaps now they feel less inclined and their hearts feel hard, and there's almost like no desire to seek Him, and they're afraid to go into the next world. That's why the, 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 the author here, Solomon, is saying, the day of death is better than one's birth, because if you can, you begin to think about those things when you're dying, but you should, try, you should be thinking about it earlier than that. That's his, that's his idea. You must make preparation. All of life, friends, here is but a preparation for the next life, for the next world. Don't put it off until later. Don't delay. Don't be so engrossed in material accumulation and the things of this world. Your priority in life is to seek the Lord, to be in a right relationship with Him, and to be in that good standing with Him. The day of death is better than the day of one's birth because it helps us to think about the things that really matter. Verse 2, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to heart. Why? Why is it better to go to a funeral than a feast? Well, because there you're much more likely to engage in some serious reflections. It reminds us, isn't it? We see a coffin before us. It's not a happy sight, yes, but it helps us to think seriously about life. It helps us to, it reminds us that life in this world is short. Never, not everyone reaches 70 or 80. Some are much younger when they pass away. But life is short, even if we were to reach such an old age. We are powerless to resist it. When we see uh, one coffin after another, what can we do? What power does man have to resist death? Death is too strong for us. Death will overcome each and every one of us. Oh, friends, it brings, that coffin brings to our minds in a very real way what I, what I perhaps have been running from all my life. That one day I must die. One day I must leave, leave this world. You know, in China, they don't like to talk about death. The number four, they don't like the number four because it's too uh, similar to the, word, the, the character for death, the word for death, sir and sir. They don't, they don't like it. So they don't want those numbers uh, in their telephones. They're, they don't want those numbers on the front of their doors because they're afraid 
that in some way death will approach them if they have those particular numbers. They're afraid to talk about these things. Perhaps it's also something that is true of us. We don't like to think about uh, the day that I must die. I must go to meet my maker. And we try and put these things at the back of our minds, cram other things into it so that these thoughts about my, my day may be put away. But friends, we need such thoughts. We need such solemn and serious reflections upon ourselves. These things are necessary for us. That's why God says it's better to go to a funeral than a feast. What happens when you go to a feast? What happens if you go to a party? What do you talk about? You talk about nonsense, really. Trivial things, really, isn't it? That that I talked about. Oh, small talk, chit-chat about this and that. What serious things uh, come across? Nothing, really. All the conversation revolves around very trivial things. Oh, uh, you are brought to think by going to these feasts, this is life, perhaps. Uh, This is life. This is pleasure. Uh, Eat, drink, and marry. Be merry. When you go to a party, maybe you you think, oh, life should be uh, a pub crawl. Life Life should be a party crawl. Life should be a pleasure crawl, going from one pleasure to another. That's what this the parties are teaching you. They're teaching you life is just here to enjoy yourself and to be merry and to uh, fulfill and do whatever you like to do. Eat, drink, and be merry. Isn't that the philosophy of the world? Don't be sad. Be merry. Be merry. Whatever it takes, be merry. Really? Take it easy, man, they tell us. Don't be so serious. Don't be so serious about life. Don't be so serious. Be cool, man. Be easy about these things. Don't take life in such a serious manner. Relax. Have fun. Enjoy yourself. Follow whatever you want to do. Life is short. Live it out in this way. That's not the best. That's not the very good advice at all. That's what the world tells you. Life is much more than this, friends. Atheism tells you it doesn't matter what you do because at the end of it, You're only an animal, and when you die, that's it. You perish. You're mortal. The Bible says you have an immortal soul, that you go on forever. Death, the Bible tells us, ushers us into the presence of God. The moment we die, we leave the body behind. The soul goes to stand before the Lord, to be judged by Him, to be we give an account uh, of ourselves before Him. Funeral then, friends, such a help to us to lay these important things before us and to our hearts. Verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. There's nothing wrong in laughter. It's a very natural thing, very human thing to laugh. It's good to laugh, but friends, we also need times and we are sorrowful. This is what the Word says. We need times when we are uh, somewhat uh, down and uh, uh, sorrowful and thinking about important things. This doesn't say to us we must just be miserable all the time. Christ didn't come to make people miserable. He came to give people life, true life, a better life, a higher life than that can be obtained in this world. 
He came to bring us into a personal relationship with God, to be in personal contact with God, to know God ourselves in a personal way, and for Him to know us and deal with us as individuals, as who are individually loved and cared for and protected. Oh, friends, that's a tremendous life to have our voices heard when we pray to Him and cry to Him for help in our needs. And He helps, and you'll see it. You'll see tremendous answers to prayer. This is, this, you cannot find this in the world. Contact with the living God, the creator of the universe and our world that we live in, a conscience free from guilt, no longer accusing you, no longer condemning you. Oh, the love and the friendship of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He offers himself. He invites you to a friendship with him, to a love that you cannot find in this world. These and so much more, friends, is uh, what uh, Christianity is all about. But before we can experience such blessings, we must have uh, moments. We must go through times of sadness. There must be uh, before I can know God's blessing in my life, I must be, be one who falls down before him on my knees and grieves over my sins. That's what the lesson is here. Sorrow is better than laughter. I need moments when I humble myself before this holy God and acknowledge I've got it all wrong. I've got it all wrong, Lord. I've been living in a totally a way that is totally rebellious and foolish. I've been wasting my years. Oh, Lord, have mercy upon me. I've been living selfishly. We, we come, get alone with God. On our own, we uh, acknowledge these things to Him. We confess, Lord, I've been a rebel. Lord, I'm a selfish person. Lord, I'm a proud person. I'm so terrible, really. We come open, we come clean before God. That's not pleasant to, to do, is it? That's not something we like to do. And it's a sorrowful thing. Oh, friends, but this is so very necessary. If ever we have, would have God's blessing, we need to go uh, experience something of this, something of shame, something of embarrassment that we've been like that. We need moments where we, we say, Lord, I'm sorry that I've lived the way that I've lived. I repent of my sins. And I ask for your uh, forgiveness. It's a felt sadness within our hearts. And through that, uh, we are made better. The second part, for by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. As we come in open confession and repentance of our sins, that will do us good. Confession, they say, is good for the soul. And it's true. Confession to God is good for the soul. And if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 4, well, that's a summary of the previous two verses. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. And then verse 5, it is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. Oh, what's this about, friends? Oh, all of us like to be flattered. All of us like to receive praise. We feel good when people praise us. 
Oh, praise us perhaps for the dress that we are wearing. Praise us for our good looks. Praise us for our achievements. Pat us on the back and tell us what wonderful people we are, how great our cooking is, how great our, our deeds are, oh, how great our driving is, everything. We've, we get all these pats on the back, and it makes us feel wonderful, isn't it? It makes us feel tremendous. And we could quite happily live on a diet of praise and flattery all the days of our life. But the end result is that we end up with an overinflated view of ourselves. And we tend to think maybe we're invincible as a result of all the flattery that comes our way. The truth is, we need correction. The truth is that we need rebuke. The truth is that we are fallen men and women. We are imperfect. We are broken. There is so much that is wrong with us. And we cannot see it. Even though there is, it's so obvious, perhaps to others, we, we fail to see these things. And this verse is telling us we need to hear the rebuke of the wise. Perhaps God will speak to us through a preacher and make known to us uh, the areas where we need to change. Perhaps it's our conscience that will come alive and speak to us and convict us of our sins and show us something about ourselves. But we need to hear the truth about ourselves. We need it, friends. Again, it's very uncomfortable to hear the truth about ourselves. We like to hear pleasant things, nice things. But the truth does hurt sometimes. You want to buy a second-hand car? Well, if you're wise, you'll have it checked out beforehand uh, by an expert mechanic. Uh, you'll you'll uh, get somebody to look over the car. You're hoping that there's nothing wrong with that car so you can make your purchase but then the report comes back, brake disc needs replacing, the battery is not re recharging pr uh, properly, the wing mirrors damage, the scratches on the sides of the car that need attending. Well, you need to know these things. You're about to make an expensive purchase, and you, it may be the deciding factor, but you need to know the truth about that car. You want to buy a house, you could say the same thing, isn't it? You call in a surveyor to check uh, it from top to bottom. You want a thorough check to be done. You don't want him to hold back. What if he said, well, I, I'm going to be, uh, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to tell the whole truth in my report. I'm going to be good. I want to please my client. I want them to buy this property. So I'm not going to give them an honest assessment of the property. I'm just going to keep it uh, off the report. And he doesn't tell you about the subsidence that is in there and the cracks that are forming. Well, if you go ahead with that purchase, later on you'll find out, isn't it? You'll find out what a big mistake was made. And you've been duped. And you'll be disappointed that uh, you were told the wrong thing. Or you go and see a doctor. And your problems, you want the doctor to give you an honest assessment. You don't want him to lie and just to make you feel okay about things. You want him to tell you the truth, whatever, however bad it is. And it's the same friends... Uh, with the Word of God and with ourselves. We need to hear the truth about ourselves, to hear what God says about us, not what this man thinks about us or that woman thinks about us, but what does the Lord God think about me? To go to the end of our lives in, with a flattering view of ourselves well, will prove costly to us, eternally costly, 
and we would end up in hell if we continue with a false impression of ourselves. Oh, friends, uh, this is what these this verses are teaching us and are calling out to us. Think about life. Verse 6, we don't have time to go into it. The laughter, uh, uh, the laughter of fools is as the crackling of thorns under a pot. So is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. In other words, it doesn't last long. It's short. It's temporary. The laughter of this world. Temporary happiness here today, gone tomorrow. All we need is the grace and a, a right relationship uh, with the Lord. So friends, I sum up these things. Think about these things. Think about your soul. If you've never done that today, if you've never begun to treat it in a serious way, begin today. Begin tonight to call out to, uh, to the Lord. Think of your need for forgiveness. Think of your need for a, a good standing with the Lord. You come to Him. You put your trust in Him, in the Lord. He will hear you. He will forgive you your sins. He will bring you at last to heaven. He will hear, friends. Think of your need. Don't put it off. I plead with you. Don't put off such serious thoughts. Don't go and just get yourselves entangled again. Don't leave this house and then just turn on the TV and then just try and forget about these things or switch uh, and uh, watch a movie or some other thing. Think seriously about these things. Don't gloss over them. Think about it today. Think about it tomorrow. Think about it seriously. Christ stands ready to save you. Christ stands ready to receive you. Oh, friends, come to Him. Come to Him in repentance. Come to Him trusting in His blood shed on Calvary. Come to Him yielding yourselves wholeheartedly to Him and He will surely bless you. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we thank you once again that you speak and how we need to hear your words, how we need to receive correction, how we need to be taught the truth about ourselves, about life, about the future, about eternity, and, oh, Lord, how we need the help of your Spirit even uh, to believe in you and to come to you. Grant that we may each one uh, here, Lord, if we haven't done so already, that we may come uh, even by faith in Christ and be reconciled unto you. Hear our prayer. Bless us in this house, each and every one. We ask these mercies in the name of our Saviour. Amen. Amen. Let's close by singing our final hymn, number 412. Come, O Thou, all victorious Lord. 412.